Welcome to the Banned Library Podcast, a podcast about books that have been banned or censored. You can find us at bannedlibrary.com, Twitter at bannedlibrary, and wherever else librarians congregate. My name is S.D. Harker, librarian, writer. You can find me on Twitter at Harker Books. If you want to help out the library, become a friend of the library. Over on Patreon, patreon.com slash bandlibrary, or you can make a one-time donation, Venmo, PayPal, username is bandlibrary. It's been an interesting week at the library. We went on walkabout, I guess you could say. Just wandered off into the wilderness, down the trails that men have not passed, went out to the coast, Saw a couple places where Goonies was filmed. Just those giant, weird-ass rocks out in the water, towering above. Then to look up what those were, like Haystack Rock, 230-something feet high. Just sticking up out of the sand and water out of the tide, like some weird-ass monolith. Some kind of kid's construction. Half-assed. Sandcastle, made of stone, covered in birds and moss and other shit. That's just fascinating. Little sleepy Washington, Oregon towns up and down the coast. The ones that look like, I don't know, see them out of those fishing stories. You almost want to see, like, whaling ships go off into the distance. Maybe if I'd waited around long enough, there would have been. I don't know, I'm used to Louisiana coast. Where you just see almost like a highway of ships, bayous. There's crab boats and fishing boats, shrimp boats going down off into the Gulf. That's what I'm used to in the hot summer sunshine, not this misty covered May. It's fascinating. Then, I don't know, wandered off into the woods a little bit, up in the mountains where there's still snow. If you're curious about that, still roads closed. Going down into some of those little peaks and valleys. Clear water runs. Snow melt still making its way down into the forest. That's fascinating. But y'all don't want to hear about that nonsense. You want to hear about Staying Fat for Sarah Burns by Chris Crutcher. Crutcher? What did I say? It's a young adult novel. About this, uh, this bigger dude. His real name's Eric. I'm gonna call him Moby through the whole thing because he owns the bigger dude part. Then he is a bigger guy. But he grew up, became a swimmer. So that's why they call him Moby. Moby Dick, get it? Large thing in the water. Well, he's got this friend. She's got problems. Sarah Burns. But he also deals with abortion and religion. And we're gonna get into a lot of weird problematic shit right now. That was surprisingly cogent. What with what's happening across the nation right now with people trying to legislate abortion and other things. First, let's go over Chris Crutcher a little bit, the author of this little shindig. He's born 1946, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, right after that, though, like pretty much right after birth, like he popped out of his mom and they put him on a plane to Cascade, Idaho. He went to Eastern Washington University much later. You know, he didn't just get born, get shipped off to Idaho, and then went to university. That'd be an interesting story. 
you know, baby psychologist, because that's what he did. He swam and he got a BA in psychology, sociology, some nonsense like that. Got his teaching certificate when, I don't know, he decided to do that. He got his degrees and then decided to teach. California, Washington, he teached all around there. And then he got published, 1983, a book called Running Late. And he worked right after that with the child protection team in Washington. He was a child therapist and dealt with a lot of children. So this pretty much makes him perfect for writing towards children, young adults. He knows what they go through. He knows what they deal with. And he knows their voices because, well, you talk to someone long enough, you get to learn what the hell they mean. Doesn't mean he's perfect at it, but hey, pretty damn good. In 2000, he won the ALA Margaret Edwards Award, Lifetime Achievement in Books or some nonsense. I can't remember exactly. You look it up if you love it so much. But yeah, just an all-around good guy and been an author for a long time now. Got a bunch of books. Of course, like usual, he was he wouldn't be on our purview if he didn't write about controversial subjects. In Wisconsin, and I believe the year 2000, why did I write that in the wrong place? 2011, Wisconsin, little town, some parent got mad. He's got a lot of books on this list, so we'll probably go back to him a couple times. But yeah, patron complained, said this book's for pornography. It's got vulgar language in it. So let's go into that. Oh, the school board told her to go fuck herself. Like, she, the book was fine. It's still on, like, the ninth grade reading list of that little town. I don't remember what it is, but there it is. Well, let's get into it. Let's actually talk about all the reasons. I'm going to change up the format a little bit. It used to be I used to go through the entire book little by little. There's a couple episodes on this weird-ass podcast where I just, I don't know, I just started spouting nonsense. Here, let's go over the actual reasons. Let's pick apart the book itself rather than going piece by piece and telling you everything that happened so that you can fake a book report on it later. Saying a book report, fuck you. We're going to talk about why it was banned and censored and all that. So yeah, pornography and vulgar language. Let's go after that first. Pornography. Can this book be called pornography? There's been several books on our little podcast here have been called that. What is pornography? go by the Supreme Court, well, you know it when you see it. So I guess to this lady, this is pornography. To me, I usually go with, I mean, it doesn't have to be sexual, but usually it is. has some kind of graphic content, something a little bit above and aboard, above, above and aboard. I can't speak today. It goes beyond sex. And, you know, it is actual, like, penetrative sex. Like, the reason for pornography is, you know, such as, ooh, I actually heard a very good quote lately. Pornography and comedy, and I'm going to actually add horror, are the only three types of literature or, like, mediums that provoke a physical response. Comedy, of course, laughter. Horror, you're either... You know, your heart beats a little bit faster. Maybe you put your hands over your eyes. You get scared. You get titillated in some way that's just fear-based. Pornography, of course. You get a sexual charge out of it. Get a boner. Get a lady boner. Get, you know, whatever it is that makes you want to go out and find a partner and take off all your clothes and run in the fields and talk to deer. Whatever makes you, 
you know, enjoy yourself in that way. It's a physical response. That's what I think of when I think of pornography. That's the point of it. It's to give you a physical response. I read this book, and at no point did I have a physical response to a bunch of teenagers. And if you did, maybe re-examine your life. Maybe go into, like, some therapy. Now, is there points where this book talks about sex? Yes. The mom is a sexual creature. She has a, a Moby's mom. She has a boyfriend through the whole thing, Carver. We'll talk about him a little bit later, too. But they obviously have a sex life. And Moby is aware of this because she is his mom. They also have a kind of a unique relationship. They talk about things a lot, you know. So he's sort of, there's, there's even a moment where mom and, you know, Carver's a little abashed that Moby knows what mom and Carver are getting up to. But it's, it's kind of like a cool relationship where, yes, we're all humans in this house. We get it. To that point, I believe there's a mention of masturbation or that Moby has sexual feelings because he's a human being. Uh, there are different, there's one kind that I, I sort of took issue with. Uh, Mark's best friend is, or Moby's best friend, Ellersby, Ellerby. I keep trying to put an L in there, an S in there. He's a pseudo religious intellectual. No, he is an intellectual. He's a thinker. They're all thinkers in this book, of course. But we've got one scene where he's over at Moby's house and mom comes in after a run and Ellerby just slaps the woman on the ass and says something to the effect of, if I see it, I gotta, you know, I gotta go after it or something. I can't remember. Um, that would have gotten you killed in my house growing up. If one of my best friends slapped my mom on the ass, good looking ass or not, and I'm not going to comment on my mother in that way, but he would have lost that goddamn hand. Like just straight up. And I can't think of one adult woman that I've ever known that probably would have taken a 16-year-old, 17-year-old slapping her on the ass. At all. Even mentions that, yeah, it was supposed to. But again, this isn't to titillate. It's just to illustrate that men and women in this story are aware of each other as sexual beings. It's kind of actually interesting. To that point, we go on the other end of that spectrum, Mark Britton. We'll get to him later, too. Religious zealot, he's a little bit of a nut. But he does constantly use the words fornication. He uses, of course, when the class is discussing hot-button topics like abortion. But his insistence that sex is a vile or, I don't know, a horrible act with this fornication, well, of course, it also means that they're talking about sex in some way, shape, or form, but not to till aid. Again, pornography off the board. It's just completely unfounded to call this a work of pornography. It is not meant to titillate or sexualize. Even the sexual material is not meant to titillate you. It's just meant to show these people as people. Things that have sex. Now, the other argument was for vulgar language. That one, I'll give you. But it's also about teenagers. So, it's kind of all throughout this book. It has kids talking... Frankly, normally, to each other. So it drops most of the language you will hear that is current on television today. Maybe that's what's getting some people up, you know, all mad. How can you say that on television? The kids today, they're saying it. If they say it in a book, they'll say it aloud. Well, guess what? They're saying it anyway. 
doesn't matter if it's a normal kid, they're saying something. And I can't remember offhand, but I think they drop a few fucks in here. On and off, I can't remember exactly where, when. I don't have any examples. Maybe I should, from now on, start writing down all the instances. Vulgar language. I'll probably just do the F-bombs, though. If we cover adult books, I might not even do that. Because it's an adult book about adult characters. But this is about children, so of course they probably talk a little bit much. But the kids don't say much. Again, and actually the only instance of a curse word or vulgar language that I hear. And I'm going to go ahead and label vulgar language as something directed towards someone else. Like if you're actually using the word to put down or hurt someone else, you're being vulgar, you're making a response from someone else by using this language. Like if I just say this fucking pizza sucks, eh, I'm not really trying to elicit any kind of response from you. I'm just commenting on the pizza and the fact that it exists. It's not having sex. It's not anything in general having to do with the word fuck. Other than me just using that for emphasis. But when Mark Britton, in class, calls Jody a bitch, that is to elicit a response from Jody and from the rest of the class. Mark Britton is being a douche nozzle, but also commenting on Jody herself using that word. Now, if he just said, well, she's bitching, again, not really vulgar language, commenting on her, but not to put her down or hurt her in any way. Yeah, kids don't already say this, but that's the only instance that I can remember in this book where someone says something vulgar or heartbreakingly mean. But those were the only two reasons, pornography and vulgar language. And one is unfounded, and the other one... Yeah, I get it. It's completely there. Totally. But it's also about children, so of course it's going to be there. Now, there are a lot of books, things in this book that are not talked about that I think are very hot-button issues that maybe are roped into some people's mind as pornography or issues altogether. I'm going to loop one in with altogether is abortion, relationships, and sex. And these are all talked about in a classroom setting, in a controlled environment. But we also get it with Mark and Jody and the misogyny that goes in between them. Mark is completely okay. Jody gives a whole speech about, okay, well, here's the situation. Mark's this super religious zealot kind of dude. Jody's his girlfriend that sort of been roped in with a lot of his belief systems. And it turns out, spoiler alert, I don't give, I don't give a shit about those. Anyway, it turns out that they had been having sex, that he sort of talked her into it, or, you know, they both wanted it, they're kids, and she got pregnant. And it was, quote, her job, unquote, to get the abortion. He made her go without. He has special leeway, though, because he's God's instrument and is out telling people about the word. But he can't walk across that picket line and go get that abortion. And Jody tells this whole thing to Moby, our protagonist. Tells him the whole thing. Not how she had to be alone during the whole thing. Quote, I just wanted to cry and have someone hold me. Unquote. It gives all the arguments around abortion without giving a judgment. It gives a reason for the abortion. 
It gives. There's no judgment, though. There's judgment toward people who judge other people for it. Which I guess is a... I don't know. Is that an acceptance of abortion or not? If you give all sides of the debate, but just give a human story. Maybe this is the best way to do stories. It's way... Well, I mean, let's do a hot button topic right there. It's how Jesus told stories. He told stories to illustrate a topic. Whatever you brought from that was you. It's kind of what I like to do. He's kind of awesome. Not really following a lot of it, but there you are. So yeah, there's this abortion topic is all throughout the book. But it's just illustrated through the characters, not actually said this is good or bad. It gives both arguments. Of course, the guy arguing against it turns out to be a religious zealot nutbag, judgmental, who hurt his girlfriend. So, I don't know. That sort of does really lead into our next one, The Power of Religion. Again, Mark Britton gives every every corner of this. Mark Britton, our sort of villain, but not really, because he's sort of... They're all just people in this book. It's what I kind of like. They're not caricatures of, like, the religious zealot. But he's also a hypocrite. But he's also just a kid. He's a teenager. He, he's the kid that prays before the swim meet. He tries to drop class because they confronted issues and he feels, he feels ganged up on by Ellerby and Moby. There's a big talk about good and evil at the beginning, whether this is a good place or a bad place. And he's like, this is God's place. And everybody's like, illustrate the point. But he has no sense of humor about himself. That's what really leads to his big hysterical breakdown near the third, three-fourth part of this book. And it leads him to self-harm, which we'll also get to a little bit later after his hypocritic behavior has been exposed. On the flip side of that, we have Ellerby, the one famous for the ass-slapping mom. He's a minister's son, we find out. But he's also kind of a provocateur. He likes getting a rise out of people like Mark Britton, who use God as a weapon. He's against that, using religion and God as a weapon, but then on top of it, he kind of uses it himself. Again, he's a teenager. He's not that great. But he does have a lot of good speeches in this book about using God, using religion, caring about the world as it is, not as it should be. Like, don't use religion to paint things the way you want them to be. Use it to guide you in how they are right now. God itself, he's, if he does exist, he's up there. He's outside of our purview. Why he did all this, why he started all this, beyond anything we can com- comprehend. But what he did do was drop our asses down on this planet together. And we should be nice to each other. Other people are not outside of our purview. We can help them. Even if it's smiling and giving a high five and saying, you're doing good today. That's what's not outside our purview. And that's why Ellerby likes to provoke people like Mark Britton, who are saying, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And using that as some kind of defense so that they don't have to be accountable for anything they do. It's kind of fascinating. And we learned that he came by this because his mom died. And his dad sort of shut down his minister. So Ellerby just sort of 
well, he shut down as well until his dad sort of had to like realize what he was doing to his son. And they talked about it and they realized that, you know, the world's not a horrible, broken place. But it can be if we don't help each other. It's kind of a really good idea. You also get a big confrontation point between Ellerby's dad, who, again, is this minister of, like, overwhelming love and support, but also will shut your ass down like he does the vice principal. And that's a fun scene because uh, at this point, Mark Brennan has realized or gotten pushed and he's been, he's committed, he's tried to commit suicide. So his dad's come in and the vice principal, Mr. Mounts, Mounts, he's an issue. He's got problems and he wants to, you know, get everybody in trouble. So he's got the dad there, but he's the one acting more like the dad because he goes to their church and the, the dads just face off. It's kind of fun to sh- see, show that kind of protection. Another big thing. Um, and I'll, I'll just wrap up the, I think we've talked a lot about the religion and that's sort of the thesis of one of the books. Be nice to each other, help each other out. And it bleeds into the next thing because LRB's big speech is Sarah Burns, the title character in the titular character, I guess. She has burns all over her body. And at the start of the book, they're in high school, and she has just stopped talking. And Ellerby talks about how he sees Moby going every day to talk to Sarah Burns, even though she's not talking back. And about how he's ashamed. He's never talked or tried to help Sarah Burns. He's always just looked away from her like everybody else did because of her disfiguring Burns. And that leads into the next thing, which is child abuse and bullying. Disfigurement in general, but child abuse and bullying, how those two things work together because they're they're pretty much the same thing. Someone in power picking or hurting or humiliating someone without power. Sarah's father abused her. Her mom refuses to help her multiple times in the story. The bully, Dale, actually becomes Moby and Sarah's friend after bullying them because he recognizes the same type of pattern that Sarah puts out. His father abuses him, Dale's father. So Sarah's, he sees that Sarah's father abuses her. And of course, Sarah's dad does become the ultimate villain in this story. In a crazy fucking ending that turns out Ma, uh, Moby's mom's boyfriend, Carver, ends up being a special forces guy that takes him down. Like, it just comes out of sort, sort of nowhere. It is kind of nice, though. There, We see that Carver was abused as a child. He has a whole talk about it. The taking on someone else's monsters will kill you. He sort of had this ingrained in him. Except he does take on someone else's monster. He fucking kicks the shit out of Sarah Burns' dad off screen. We just learn this weird-ass story. Which also sort of makes us end with authority. Whether or not you should talk back to authority. Because we have this, the vice principal character and the Sarah Burns' dad. They're horrible human beings. They're pieces of shit. Who in different ways bully and push back against the children. Against children, teenagers, who don't know better. Where we have good examples like Carver, I guess you could say, and Limery, their teacher, who I haven't talked about a whole lot, but she's 
Glenn instigating much of the, most of these, um, like, uh, confrontations or arguments in class. She has a, like a, a class that's basically about critical thinking. And that's why they talk about abortion. They talk about, is the world a good place or a bad place? Uh, basically her whole thesis is you're your own life's accountant. You're the only one taking track about whether you're a good or a bad person or not. So there's a lot of good juxtapositions in there on authority and how you use that authority to bully, to abuse, or to help, to further their kids, to have them talk about it and come away with their own thoughts versus the other one, which is sort of the religious zealot idea about forcing thoughts into someone's head based on, I don't know, a dogmatic purpose. And there's also one about health and suicide, you know, physical harm. But the whole reason behind the staying fat for Sarah Burns is that when they were friends when she was little, Sarah Burns was disfigured, Moby was fat, so they were both sort of looked down upon. But when Moby started doing the swim team, he started getting, you know, more fit, physically fit. He started looking better. People started treating him a little bit differently. But he kept overeating to stay fat for Sarah Burns, to stay on her level. She saw this. It broke her down at one point. She says she hated it. And it's just kind of like, it's, that's heartbreaking that he felt that if he looked different, she wouldn't be his friend anymore. Broke her heart. And they did sort of stop hanging out together a whole lot, but still, he made a point to keep it. And how many times has that happened? Where teenagers made a point to keep a friend in their lives. Think about how many friends you've been, people you've been friends with that have sort of faded off into the distance. It's too many from my life. And it sucks. And then there's the big one of suicide, self-harm, the anti-health. Mark uses it, of course, as a cry for help here. You know, his whole worldview's gone to shit. So he goes home and takes a bunch of pills. He lost his sense of purpose and self. It's the complete different than the whole swimming, the sports as therapy. Because he couldn't be his own taskmaster. Because the thing that he relied on that he made his own right choices, that God had chosen him to spread the word. When he had to face down the whole abortion thing, that he wasn't the best thing ever, well, he chose to try to end it. Or at least do something so extreme that other people had to look at him. Maybe that's the thesis of this whole book. Be your own taskmaster. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't compare yourself to the dogmatic principles of other people. And if when someone says something to you, maybe try to help them. But don't follow them. I don't know. That's where this episode's going to end. Thank you for listening. Stay in. Read a book.
Music, Dances and Dames, by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.